Hello and welcome to another exciting edition, the inaugural 1920 school year edition of the School Safety Free Period. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we are with the Educators School Safety Network. We are a national nonprofit organization and we are dedicated to providing school safety training and resources and technical assistance throughout the U.S. and Canada. And one of those resources um, is this podcast or live stream, depending on how you're accessing us. Welcome either way. We're glad to see you and hopefully we'll have some interesting content for you and um, jumpstart your professional development in this really critical area of school safety. So for those of you who have listened to previous episodes of the school safety pre-period, you know how this works. Um, those of us, those of you who are new uh, to this specific type of content, how this typically works is Dr. Klinger has things that are real and true and actually happened. I know it's important to have that caveat because some of them are too unbelievable to be true sometimes. But we talk about those um, and we a little bit less formal. Um, you know, we are academics and, and we do approach this work with a lot of seriousness. But the school safety free period is the time where we're a little bit less serious and we have a couple laughs but we always have an important school safety takeaway because the purpose of all of this professional development is to raise your professional practice as an educator. So, are you ready? Yeah, so our theme today um, is we're really kind of looking at can these two contradictory things be true? Can two things be true at the same time? Um, so we have the contradictory notion of we have clearly a high level of concern, um, and anxiety about active shooter incidents. We have a long and bitter history of those occurring in uh, public schools in the United schools in the United States. Uh, we also have a lot of sort of emerging trends where we're beginning to see that perhaps there is a cost, an unintended consequence to this uh, this emphasis on active shooter and is that warranted and what what's happening when we're what are we not doing when we're doing a lot of active shooter training so i have a few things that i want to kind of run through and the way this usually works is amanda doesn't really know what i'm talking about which is not unusual oftentimes many people don't know what i'm talking about and uh so i sort of throw these things out there and then she kind of responds to those um, in sort of the gut level response that many of you probably have um, as educators sitting there too. So I wanna start with a mid-year report um, that came out through the state of Texas. Um, after Parkland, Texas allocated $339 million um, from both last year and the upcoming school year um, for school safety funding um, to a variety of agencies. And I'm pleased to report that they allocated $100 million for prevention. Uh, mental health support, threat assessment management. So, Amanda, I, I can see you nodding, but uh, yeah, so that's a good thing. Well, and it's important to note that that's not super typical. Um, usually when state legislatures or even at the federal level allocate money for quote unquote school safety, it is for security interventions. It is for response. It is for tip lines and metal detectors and SROs. Um, money that is specifically earmarked to work to prevent violence in schools is not the norm, uh, astonishingly. So that right. is great. 
Right. So, well, then there's the other side of the story. And again, not saying that these are bad things. We just have to make informed decisions about them. So we have a significant amount of money, another $100 million that's been allocated for infrastructure improvements, such as active shooter alarms, metal detectors, vehicle barriers, radios, bulletproof glass, door locking systems, those sort of things. And in addition, they have increased the number of school marshals by 325% last year. And that there is now no restriction on the number of, of police officers or SROs or safety marshals, whatever you wanna call them, there is no restriction on the number of those that you can have on campus. So you can kind of see the two sides of that particular coin. We're spending an incredible amount of money on active shooter based sort of interventions. So let's just hold that thought and kind of move into what else does that look like? Um, so the, we have a, a place in Florida um, that has opened a, it's two teachers and a mixed martial arts expert. And they have opened a uh, business called Teachers Not Targets. And it is a school shooting preparation business um, with the goal to provide teachers with self-defense and disarming shooter training, wait for it, once per week. So I what? have some quote, once per week. Um, so I have some quotes. You need that ongoing self-defense. It might be five or six years later when you need it and you don't want to be rusty. So there's a couple assumptions here. There is the assumption that every five or six years, every educator is experiencing an active shooter event or some sort of event where they are engaging in self-defense, which I didn't realize. And there is no statistical um, reality or actual true events that support that. But um, then they go on to say that they work with individual with them individually, with teachers individually on how to weaponize items in your classroom. Um, again, that is the self-defense approach because the best way to protect students during the school shooting is to take an offensive approach, including hand-to-hand -hand combat with the shooter. Now, it's, it's probably important that since some people access this content as a podcast, you know, people who have long, boring commutes or they're washing the dishes, walking the dogs, my face is not a nodding along hmm yes interesting my face is one of shock and your face <sighs> the face you're making looks very much like the face of all of our listeners more most likely who are saying wait what i am a um, teacher we spend a lot of time in this podcast going wait what um and this is another example of that so you can probably comment a bit on where this intent comes from and where it actually takes us. You know, this is an interesting conversation that I have a lot with folks. Um, because school shootings and, and our legacy of school shootings in this country is so horrific and it's so visceral, I think unfortunately the result has been that people are willing to do anything. We are willing to do anything if it feels like or if it has been sold to us as something that will prevent or mitigate future tragedy. Um, for example, I spoke with someone not that long ago who, and the discussion topic was about arming teachers. And they said, I am not a gun advocate. I am for gun control, but we've got to do something. And we have, a, as a society, there is a cost for us yes. to say, 
to just totally abdicate and go anything anything we can do well, and we're and we're going to talk about that but i think you know you raised the the really relevant point of or, or you know i guess if we want to do we must do something and i am willing to allocate one day a week to do something to keep my students safer i've got a list of about 30 other things you can do other than go now if you want to learn how to fight people that's cool if you want to do self-defense and you want to learn to do it because it's good exercise or it's good or it feels good or it empowers you whatever that is if you want to be able to you know whip someone around the bar that comes up to you that's that's i have no issue with that but let's not disguise that as this is the single best thing you can do to prevent violence or to keep your students and yourself safe because it's not um, and so I would advocate, oh, I don't know, come see us once a week um, if you want to expand your professional practice and your ability to prevent violence and keep your students safe. Well, so. you know, the, the field of education is under attack, right? Education as a career is under attack from many other forces, let alone for us to uh, add this additional bar to entry to folks who are considering being an educator. And, and we talk about this sometimes in our training, you know, schools have unnecessarily owned the problem of school safety because we act like school shootings happen so often. And we act like the only place that's dangerous is our schools. And, and that I think would do a disservice Very to people good. who are considering this as a career to, to make it seem like you're going to need to take self-defense classes if you want to be a teacher. You have taken us right into our next little uh, current event. There you go. So this is uh, James Allen Fox, who is a researcher out of Northeastern University, has been studying gun violence for 35 years. Um, and I have some really definitive quotes from him that in my research on this, he has said repeatedly, this was not like, let me say something shocking and provocative. He has said repeatedly various versions of this quote. There is no evidence of an epidemic of mass shootings. Four times the number of children were killed in school shootings in the early 1990s than today. There is no evidence we're in the midst of an epidemic. Shooting incidents involving students have been declining since the 1990s. And more kids are killed each year from drowning or bicycle accidents than in a school shooting. Um, and, and then we also have our other researcher out of Harvard, who we, we quote quite a bit, who also talks about the, it is more likely that a child will be killed going to school or participating in a school event, an athletic event, than in an actual school shooting. How much time and resources are we allocating preventing those two things? And I think this is probably a, a good time for us to have a couple important caveats. Number one, we're not saying that school shootings aren't horrific and awful tragedies that are unacceptable to happen even one time, um, and that we do need to allocate some time and some energy and some resources to prevent and to know how to respond to them. So we're not saying ignore school shootings. We're not saying it's not that big a deal. People are overreacting. We're not saying that. But I think what we're, what we're trying to say is we need to look at an all hazards approach to school safety and we need to look at what are the risks that schools most often face um when you talk about a, a child being more likely to be injured and killed on their way to school that happens in every school every day school shootings do not happen in every school and every day and so we we have to start 
looking and being able to differentiate between the likely and the, and, and the possible. School shootings are possible and they're horrific and unacceptable and, and we are not saying that we should ignore that. But they are not likely. And all of those other risks and hazards that you talk about, those are likely. And so we have to be able really to carve out space. This is really a discussion about putting something in its proper context. Yes. We need to increase our awareness. We need to increase what we're doing to prevent violence of all sorts. But that increased awareness doesn't translate that we're doing that because these events are happening so frequently because in reality they're not. I heard someone yesterday um, on a podcast I was listening to and they were talking about 9-11 and they were talking about it wasn't a tragedy he, and, and their point was we shouldn't say it was a tragedy it was an attack it was an event it was a horrific it wasn't that any of those people did anything that ultimately led to their downfall the way a Greek tragedy is. And I think that's a really important point. These are attacks. These are crimes. These are incidents. These are horrific things, but they are not the only thing that ever happens in a school that results in the death of a child or that results in injuries and, and crisis sort of events. So which, I think that's really a valid point. Well, which I also think is, is important to talk about the distinction between an accident and an attack. Um, we can work sure. to prevent attacks, right? There's a lot, and we can talk about violence prevention uh, at a different time because there's a lot to be said there. We can work to prevent violence in schools and that's important work. But some of the things that we're talking about are pure accidents and they are the nature of being on the road, walking to school, going mm -hmm. up and down stairs, having 300 children in a lunchroom. Those are the nature of, those things will not go away. And so we have to make sure that we are paying attention to those things that are inevitable. Accidents are inevitable. And so we have to, at least give equal attention to those things uh, as we do to statistically rare, horrific things um, like active shooters. And I think part of the discussion that we've had, and if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard us say this repeatedly, we have had discussions about active shooter training gone wrong mm -hmm. um, that has really been much to the detriment of the school and has made people less safe instead of more safe. Mm -hmm. It's traumatized people. It's made people opt out and say, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this training. Well, just a, a week or so ago, we had another example of where a police department in South Carolina showed um, footage that they said was from the Columbine shooting. Um, and sorry, insert course, eye roll for people who are here at the podcast. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Say it again. You have to insert my exaggerated eye oh. roll for folks who are only listening in the podcast. Well, so you can speak to you know exactly what I'm talking about. What what they were watching? Yeah. So it you want to speak to that? Yeah. So it is. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure what they were actually showing um, was footage from the movie Zero Day, yes. which uh, used to be available on Netflix. I'm not sure if it still is. Um, which is a completely fictionalized film, um, which is based loosely sort of on the story of Columbine. And the last, I think, 15 minutes or so of the movie is a reenactment um, shot in the style, and it looks like it is security camera footage of a school shooting taking place in a library, like what happened so at what's Columbine. what's the problem? And we hear this all the time. This is the, not the first time I've ever seen this. We see this all the time I have, where people I have are friends, filming. I have had friends who are teachers who have texted me from a training and said they're showing us video footage of Columbine. Talk to us about what's the problem with that. Well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, you're misrepresenting something as 
fact of what actually happened, um, which there's value to learn from past events, um, but you're passing a narrative film, a fictional piece of art, uh, passing it off as real, which is a problem. And number two, I, I think, you know, the efficacy of that, like what are we trying to accomplish by doing that? You know, it is 2019. There are no educators who started this school year think in, you know, poly with the Pollyanna notion of it could never happen. Never heard of a school shooting. What does it mean? No one needs to be scared straight around this issue. Um, and so the the visceral nature, um, but the potentially triggering nature of viewing something like that, when at a fundamental level, it's not even real. It's not even what you claim it to be. Uh, so I don't. I... We have to make up things in order to prove to people that they need to do something differently. I don't think so. I don't think we need to make stuff up to get people to take this issue seriously. And it, I think it, we need to have a, a more balanced conversation, not and, trying to skew the results. Yeah, and it stems back to that notion of we only have realistically when we when we're talking about school safety professional development. Every educator only has X number of hours in a school year for school safety professional development. And we need we to- We want to spend it traumatizing them would be the question. Well, traumatizing them. And even we need to make sure that we're allocating it in accord with the hazards and the risks that we face. And so having, if we only have one hour of school safety professional development, it should not be one hour of active shooter training, 20 minutes of which is scaring the daylights out of people watching something yeah. that is a fictional film. Well, so now I have one for you that you may not find quite as amusing, but I'm gonna pretty much guarantee that the teachers in our audience may find this amusing. So, and it's not supposed to be amusing. Let's just get that out there. Um, this is talking about a new development that schools are really getting on board with. And these are artificial intelligence cameras um, that really transform, according to the manufacturer, who, gee, I, I can't imagine if they're going to make any money or anything. According to the manufacturer, they transform surveillance cameras into active observers. And they are able to identify people. They are able to identify and hone in on suspicious behavior and identify weapons. So this smart surveillance camera is out there just ready to save the day. Mm -hmm. um, the camera, now I, I will have the quote from the, the people that make it. The camera will, quote unquote, look at the expressions on people's faces and their mannerisms and be able to tell if they look violent. So my question is, have they ever used people are coming to school with one of those Greek tragedy masks. I have my violence mask on today. I'm going to punch somebody. Have they ever really used this in a school? Because if we have an, so I'm picturing an AI camera in a school that's able to look at people's expressions and mannerisms and tell if they look violent. What's going to happen when the staff meeting is over and all the teachers leave and they're frustrated? Um, what's going to happen when it's Monday morning and people are coming in or there's been uh, the chicken nuggets didn't get served up on time in the cafeteria. There's an awful, I mean, it just, it strikes me as very funny that we're going to somehow be able to discern that. Now maybe, and my apologies to the manufacturers, maybe that's exactly what that thing can do. I'm not sure that's my top priority because you know what? I have a school full of people who are trained professional educators who can look at kids and look at their faces yeah. and look at their mannerisms mm -hmm. and be able to tell if they look violent and do something that that camera can't. 
help. intervene, talk to them, develop a relationship, figure out what's happening. So the cost of that camera, could we invest it in the actual real life people that are there in the building? Yeah, I mean, there is a cost. You would think with the technology that has infiltrated every corner of our society, you would think that people would start to realize there is a cost to us as a society for outsourcing emotional labor. That's what this is. We are outsourcing emotional labor to a machine. And I am a pretty tech savvy person. I am an early adopter. I, you know, I have a lot of uh, robots around my house. Uh, so I am not a Luddite and, and this is not dismissing stuff out of hand, but there's a cost to outsource emotional well, labor and, like this. And if you're trying to look at an airport with, you know, thousands and thousands of people passing through it or a shopping mall or a, you know, a sporting event. Okay, great. But if we're in a school, do we really have such a disconnect that we are not in any way engage, in, interested in engaging and interacting with our students to be able to discern that, that we are going to outsource that? And I'm sure someone's going to argue, well, that would be in addition, and I get all that. Well, but, and to use your example of a, a mall or an airport, surveilling adults who go through a mall or an airport does not impact the sale of shoes or the on-time departure of aircraft. And we know the surveillance and the security interventions that we put in our schools has an impact on academic achievement. So we, we as have well to consider- As well as culture. Absolutely. Right. Which, so we have to understand that there is a cost for doing those things. And the cost is not quite the same as when we are choosing to surveil adults. So, so if we're sitting there looking at a pile of money as an administrator and we go, I got this pile of money. I, in my hand, this pillowcase of money. Is that how it Where works? I, should I, I don't teach the school finance courses, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. You don't get a pillowcase of money at the beginning of the school year. Okay, I mean, but you have to think about it as if it is a pillowcase of money. And you say, where should I spend my pillowcase full of money? I could buy this nifty camera, or I could invest in the folks to who could actually intervene and have conversations and pick up on kids and... Right. And so we are investing in the shiny thing so that we can point to it and go, look at us. We have a really cool camera. Or we could say, look at us. We have a relationship based culture and teachers that have been empowered and trained. And we love your kid and we want them here and we're going to support them or send them here and we will watch them and see if our camera brands them as a potential violent person based on, I don't know, some algorithm that we don't necessarily even know. So, yeah, there you go. Now, that all being said, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but I think it's also important for us to look at in the last two weeks what's been going on. And we talked about that in the description of this episode. You know, in the past couple of weeks, we have had, since the start of the school year, we have had a number of events that have taken place, active shooter sort of events that have taken place um, outside of school hours but on school grounds there was a shooting at a game a football game in alabama that resulted in 10 injuries in missouri we had uh, a football jamboree gone wrong where there was a fight with a hundred students four people were shot and an eight-year-old student was killed so we can't we can sit here and be you know and really try to be very um whatever non-emotional about it but we have to also look at those things happened yeah. too. Yeah. They happened in addition to a whole bunch of other things we're not reporting on, 
like bus accidents where kids were killed, medical emergencies where kids died, all kinds of other things that are happening. So it's the proper context. And I go back to what we said at the beginning. Can two things be true at the same time? Yeah. We are spending too much time and emphasis at with unintended consequences on school shooting preparation that's not particularly effective. But we also have to acknowledge those events occur. Yeah. Just not at the rate that we might have convinced ourselves. Yeah. And I will close with this. We have a mom, because you know, mom's always, mom's always there. Mom has a 15-year-old son who was arrested for saying that he was going to shoot up the school. He does it in the context of a video game. And did I mention he's 15? Mm -hmm. 15, here's the quote from mom. She is talking to the officers who are arresting him that he should not be arrested because he's just a little kid playing a video game. These kids say stuff like that all the time. It's a joke to them. It's a game and it's so wrong. I hate that game. So we have several things happening. Number one, yeah. your son is not a little kid. He is 15. Right. Uh, number two, if you hate that video game, then why is he still playing, playing that video game? And are we really going to say that it's okay to say those things all the time? So that's kind of, um, unfortunately, what we tend to, tend to see as well. Yeah. And that's tough. I mean, it's a self-perpetuating problem, right? That's the way we talk. That's the way we joke. And so there aren't consequences and we don't, you know, establish that type of speech is unacceptable. And when we don't establish that that type of speech is unacceptable, then people continue to do it and that becomes the norm. So it, it is yep. tough. It's tough to break that cycle. And while we're sitting here pleading with the officer, don't arrest my little kid who's 15, at that same moment, we have a thwarted plot in Oklahoma where a 17-year-old shows up across the street with a gun and has two other friends with pistols. Yep. Thankfully, someone saw something and said something. They were reported um, by a student. And a thwarted plot in North Carolina with a 19-year-old with two guns in his dorm room. So there's your two sides of that particular coin as well. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, I think, you know, typically the school safety free period, we have a little bit more absurdity, but I think we had a lot of good discussions this time, so that's okay too. Um, this was the first episode of this fall season of the school safety free period. We are going to have episodes that will be live streamed like this one uh, every other Thursday. Um, and in between those, we are going to have monthly webinars, which are a little bit more traditional professional development that will be available online, also available free of charge. If you want to see the schedule of all of this online professional development, the live streams, the podcasts, the webinars, you can head to our website, www.eschoolsafety.org. If you're joining us on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. You can hit the notification button. It will give you a heads up when we're about to go live with some of these live streams so that you can join in and ask questions and be a part of the conversation. If you're joining us via podcast, uh, while you're doing something else and we're hopefully entertaining you a little bit while you wash the dishes or run on the treadmill, uh, make sure that you rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That helps other folks to be able to find this type of content if it's something that's helpful and interesting to them. If you have any other questions, you can always in email us info at eschoolsafety.org and all of the information, all of the resources, anything you're looking for, it's there on our website www.eschoolsafety.org. Do you have anything else that you wanted to, to share? 
No, join us again soon. We've got lots of professional development opportunities for you this year. If you don't come up with good professional development, somebody else is going to give it to you. So why not be in charge of your own learning and uh, have it be something that you can apply in your classroom every single day. All right. Thanks.